Lord, even as we just sang, you teach us to love one another. So we ask this very simply today as we turn to your word. Instruct our hearts yet again how to live for your glory. How to love one another for your glory. How to see the world and interpret what is happening around us for your glory. But Lord, we ask this most of all. Fill our hearts afresh with a picture and a sense of the weight of your glory. That it will displace everything else that tries to take its place in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you can be seated. As you are, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In just a moment, we're going to have Miss Sarah Jeffords share uh, the reading of God's Word today. But I just wanted to take a moment to say welcome. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Metro Life Church. If you're our guest today, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining with us. I'm grateful to have you here with us today, and I hope that you received on the way in. Just this, this is kind of a first of a few simple ways that we just want to say uh, we love you during this season. We have these, the Gospel of Advent devotionals for you that you can pick up uh, either on your way in or on your way out today. We have plenty of them, uh, especially for like one per family or, or for you to pick up as an individual. Uh, this is, again, just a simple way for us to say that we love you. We're glad that you're here with us. And we want to continue to equip you during this season. Uh, I actually think this is, the, um, this is the editor that we've received these devotionals from in years past. But man, did they ever do a great job of putting this together this year and the artwork in it. Uh, and it's just a beautiful layout. So I hope that you enjoy this and it fills your soul during this season. All right, Miss Sarah, if you join us out here. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to begin today in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thank you, ma'am. We're going to have Sarah share with us in a couple of weeks on, I think it's December the 12th, uh, an exciting opportunity that we have as a church, both to serve our congregation and more than that, to serve the local community around us with a group starting up in the new term for Grief Share. And I'm grateful to her uh, and those that are a part of that new venture for us as a church. But can we just pray this morning that God's word would take root in our hearts? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it instructs us. Thank you for how it both loves and embraces us and it calls us out of ourselves to all that we've been created for. Holy Spirit, we ask this today, that we would receive hope as a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to start off this morning by asking you a simple question. 
And it, it may be simple in the asking, but complex in hearing back from you. So it's okay not to share aloud unless you just really want to make sure that your family knows what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that we could answer this, right? And it almost seems selfish to start the Christmas season by asking a question like that. But I mean something beyond the list, beyond the things, beyond the food or the trappings of the season. I'm asking this, what do you want to get out of the season for yourself? Now that doesn't help it seem any less selfish, does it? What do you want to get out of the season for yourself? I mean, we all know that it's better to give than to receive. There's, there's joy in giving. There's fun in seeing the light in a child's eyes as they receive a gift. There's, there's enjoyment that we receive from seeing someone get the thing that they asked for and knowing you're the one that helped make that happen. But even if you pause and think about that, you realize there's something that we're getting even out of giving. So let me ask this question again. What do you want for Christmas? I know for myself, and I think I've shared this with you all before, I want world peace. That's what I tell my children anyway. I take the uh, Family Matters, mid-90s, Winslow family approach. I ask for something that's unattainable so that when I get something like just a peaceful day in my own home, it seems like a real gift. I want world peace. I tell them, I don't need anything from them other than that. But as a family, we have become more of an experience over things type of gift-giving family. Perhaps your fam family is in a similar season. I have a middle schooler, a senior in high school, and a junior in college. So time together is a gift. I think about this even the other night as, as Alec, uh, the senior that we have in high school, he and I just unexpectedly had an evening together. And so we went out to dinner together. And the band that was playing in the background was too loud and the, the, the football and basketball games that were on TV were too loud. So we didn't really get to talk much, but it was just a gift just to be able to sit together and eat together. Now make no mistake, for our family there are stockings that are filled. On Christmas morning there are gifts under the tree, but our primary efforts... The main thing that we think through as a family is for that one gift, that experience gift for the year. See, that's a fun gift to plan, but it comes with expectations. There's something that we want to get out of it. And I say all this to kind of set us up today for what it is that I believe that the Lord has for us as we look at the advent of hope, the, the arrival of hope in our lives. See, we have expectations that go into those times together. We we expect it to be fun. We expect memories to be made. See, those memories, they're not bad in and of themselves, are they? But when they begin to turn and they kind of take over the time together, when, when what is ruling my heart, especially what's ruling my heart, begins to rule over our time, that can really take a turn for the worst, can't it? We've all seen this, maybe you've seen this in yourself, or, or maybe you've experienced this with others. I've been helped by authors like Tim Keller and David Pallison, counselors, uh, many others that do the same, that boil down some of our longings for those types of times together in four basic categories. Power, control, comfort, and approval. So let me ask again, what do you want for Christmas? Is it one of these four things? Perhaps you'll see yourself in them as I kind of explain what I mean by them. Power, that you have an influence or there is some sense of recognition for who you are when you walk into a room. 
power. Maybe there's control. It's not just everything going according to plan. It's everything going according to my plan. Control can rule over us, can't it? There's, there's comfort. Comfort is what you hear when I say I want world peace to my family. And it's a joke to be sure until I start acting like it's true. Comfort. We want pleasure and ease in going about life. What about approval? Not just acceptance. Not just being accepted when you're with someone, but that you're actually desired to be with. Approval. And you may think, like, what a way to start an Advent series. What a way to start Christmas time. Talking about these longings in our hearts. Scripture actually calls them something else. Scripture calls them idols. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in in just a few minutes. But Scripture calls these things idols when they take over our thoughts, when they take over our longings, when they take over our actions and our words toward others. Here's why we start this Christmas season considering the things that rule over the desires of our heart. Because they so easily take over. They so easily can take control. They so easily can begin to rule and reign in our moments together. But I want us to see more than just talking about idols. I want us to better understand that we have a hope that we can experience today that will see us through eternity. The hope that I'm talking about is more than... <clears throat> is, is more than just seeing that things that go according to my plan that, that doesn't change or doesn't have to look at a backup plan. It doesn't waver when things don't go according to plan. I'm talking about hope that is secured when life feels like it's at its best or when life feels like it's at its worst. It's a hope that is secured by something precious and costly. And it will never fail. See, that sounds like a hope that I want much better than those other things that could be ruling and reigning in our times together. So let's look back at Hebrews 10. And and as we go to Hebrews 10, I I think it's helpful. It's helpful for me. Uh, I was young when my grandparents passed. Uh, I was was young when my, my grandparents on my mother's side passed. I was five and six when that happened. And I was a bit older when my grandparents on my dad's side passed but we never really got to that age where I could sit down because they lived in Virginia lived here in Florida all of my life and I never really got to that place where I could sit down with a grandfather and just kind of talk about life sir we had great times together but just to be able to sit down with a grandfather and so it's helpful for me to think about this is this is the grandfather that's kind of talking to me the author of Hebrews isn't named but but we know that this is a man who's experienced a lot of life and so he's speaking with the wisdom that comes over time. Now, I think it's, it's right for us to acknowledge sometimes people don't gain wisdom over time in life. People just find new ways of being foolish throughout life. But this is a wise grandfather. This is a, a wise mentor who has walked through a lot of life who is writing to me today. He's writing to you today. To instruct us in the ways of the Lord. And so as we listen, let's listen with that voice. It doesn't just try to say, yeah, but with what you have going on in life. But actually looks at this as sage wisdom from eternity. Eternity past. 
and eternity future. That we might gain a heart of wisdom today. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Now you heard me say just a moment ago that this hope that we have, this hope that we're talking about today, the arrival of this hope is something that is secured by something precious and costly. And Hebrews 10, 19 acknowledges that when it says that this is through the blood of Jesus, blood that is shed on our behalf. But we also want to acknowledge that it's through his flesh. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is what helps us to understand not that concept, but that reality. That God condescended to his creation, took on the form of human flesh, and paid the price that we could not pay. Emmanuel. God with us today, tomorrow, faithful, forever, giving us hope. In this Advent season, we talked about it, the the Advent meaning is very simple, it's arrival. And so we're considering the first Advent when Jesus came, that is Emmanuel, God with us, now and through eternity. But we are also looking forward to his second coming, his second Advent That's actually why I appreciate that our devotional starts off with an eternal mindset. It starts off looking at eternity to say, here we are in this place of what? Waiting. We are in this place of waiting because we're looking back to the first advent. We're looking forward to the second advent of Christ. What does that leave us? Waiting. How are we waiting? I don't know about you, but I don't wait well. Many of us think about Advent in this season and it has to do with those, those windows that we open up. And perhaps you've already eaten all the chocolates. I know a friend of mine, all the Lego sets have already been built. And perhaps you wait like that, impatiently. And in this season, God's Word instructs us how to wait well. And how to have this season of waiting for his second advent, waiting for the time when we will be with him. Be fruitful. Be something that bears great fruit in our heart. And so we are talking about something more than just hope for today. We are talking about eternal hope. And we're talking about an eternal hope that is secured by the blood of Jesus. The work that he alone could accomplish See, our sin required a price to be paid. Our sin required a price that we could never ourselves pay. But Jesus paid that price for us. Glenn Shrivener, in in an article on Gospel Coalition, I came across it earlier this week, not even working on this particular passage, but, but I just thought this was such a helpful way for us to think about Christ's coming to earth. He said it this way, Look, God has shown up to put things right. In becoming man, the Lord of all has taken the wheel of this world, switched on the GPS, and pressed home. That's what we're considering in this season. I think it's helpful for us to see that Hebrews 10 points us to this truth, that we are invited to know and worship God. Let's look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. 
Do you ever have that sense that God is this kind of austere, standoffish God who says that like you have to accomplish this much in order to be able to draw near? That's not at all what Hebrews tells us. That's not at all how God's word mentors us and trains us in how it is that we can come into the presence of God. When we come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ's blood, there is nothing that holds us back. We are invited to draw near, not shrink back. And we draw near with hearts that are informed by the work of Jesus, not our efforts. We are informed by the work of Jesus, that Jesus' work alone is enough to allow us to come into the presence of a holy God. There are angels whose full-time job is to sing holy, holy, holy around the throne of God. His holiness is not something that we should just kind of gloss over as if it doesn't matter. Because for eternity, they are going to do nothing but sing holy, holy, holy around the throne of God. And you know what they will not do in eternity? exhaust his holiness by singing about it so we can't exhaust his holiness by thinking about it here on the earth and yet we're invited to draw near through Jesus Christ and not shrink back from that kind of holiness I don't know about your efforts but mine are not even close to making it where I would feel like I could do that praise God it's not about my efforts praise God it's not about your efforts this morning That we can receive this gift of salvation through something like faith. I don't know about your family, but Thursday morning at my house, it was filled with sausage bread and Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. If you don't know what sausage bread is, it's, I don't know, the eighth wonder of the culinary world. That's why we only get it once a year. It's wonderful. But Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, I have to confess... I enjoy the tradition of it, but I'm increasingly saddened by the message of it. Now, what I'm grateful for is my daughter picked up on it this year. She looked at me and she just said, she did not understand the assignment. Because one of the artists was singing a song, and it was all about them. It was all about what they were getting, and it was all about how much they were worth, and And let's just acknowledge, in Christ you find your worth. In the fact that you are created in the image of God, you find your worth. You are valuable, but can we just acknowledge it's not the primary thing we lead out with. Especially on a day of giving thanks. It'd be like being in the middle of a prayer and someone saying, Lord, thank you for Chris. And me just agreeing and acknowledging, yes, Lord, thank you for me. You laugh because it's funny and it's a little rude, right? But isn't that the message of the world? It's the message of the world that it's all about you. You are the gift. How many of you heard that during the Black Friday sales? It was all over the place. You are the gift was trending on Twitter for the last three days. You are the gift. And I'm here to tell you today, no, you're not. I love you enough to tell you, you are not the gift. Praise God, you're not the gift. Praise God, neither am I. There's a greater gift we can look to in Jesus Christ. And we receive this gift very simply by this, faith in believing. So I have something to say to Macy's. You do not own believe. Jesus Christ owns believe. Let me get back to my notes. 
through this gift of grace, by faith, our conscience is cleared by the blood of this perfect spotless lamb. We can be baptized with pure water. That is, that is very simply this. It's an outward sign of an inward change that has happened. It's a radical, eternal transformation. This gives us confidence to know this. And I want us to walk away today hearing this more than anything else. Jesus is the deliverer from idols that cannot deliver. Giving us hope in the one who can see his work through. Let me just say that one more time. Jesus is the deliverer from idols that cannot deliver giving us hope in the one who can see his work through. See, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 wants to point us to something. It wants to point us to this truth. We have a hope that preserves us so that we can persevere. Let's read verse 23 together. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know, in our lives, hope is actually something that's quite foundational. It's why we start there this week. Because I don't want us to get to like week four of Advent and then finally kind of talk about hope like we're trying to backfill all of these concepts. No, our hope is the foundation. And what fruit springboards from that, the things that become the expression of that hope in our lives, are what we'll be looking at in the weeks ahead in peace, in love, and in joy. But hope is foundational for our lives. It's something that we look at and we realize this is critical for the expression of all of those other things. But do we really understand what hope is according to God's word? Let alone how it is that we might receive it in this season of life. Before we look at some scriptures together, I just thought it would be helpful to go to Webster's 1828 and define hope. It says it this way. Hope is a desire of some good, accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it, or a belief that it is attainable. Hope differs from wish and desire in this, that it implies some expectation of obtaining the good desired, or the possibility of possessing it. Hope, therefore, always gives pleasure or joy Whereas wish and desire may produce or be accompanied with pain and anxiety. Now hope is something that is an oft-repeated theme in the book of Hebrews. We're going to go rapid fire through these, so just stay with me. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6 says this. By the way, just real quick. My notes will be online in case you're just wanting to review these things. Uh, this is not a shameless plug to go to this sermon page on our website, but you can. It's there as a resource for you. So if there's something that you just want to be able to sit back and listen in moments like this, it's okay. The notes will be online for you to be able to look at and study and consider for yourselves later, as well as some of the source material that I am referencing this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hebrews 6.11 says this, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews 6.18, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. 
Hebrews 7, 19, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And in our passage today, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know, we were singing the song this morning, O Holy Night. That's my favorite Christmas carol. It's my favorite Christmas hymn, by far. Uh, Also, the David Phelps recording of it uh, is my favorite arrangement of it. Uh, You're welcome to listen online. Try to convince me that I'm wrong. It's fine. We can have a fun conversation over that. It was actually penned originally in 1843 by a French poet, Placide Capau. Capot, I don't know. Pardon my French. In 1847, it was put to music by Adolf Adam. He was a composer and a music critic. In 1855, it made its way over into the States by a minister and America's first influential music critic, John Sullivan Dwight. So it's gone through some translations. It's gone through some transliteration. Perhaps you even sang some words today. You just thought, I never realized those words were in that song. Uh, That happened to us last Christmas Eve. Uh, it was a fun moment. But, you know, there are, there are words that are here. It was actually written with the book of Luke as its guide to understand the story of the gospel. And so we sing about a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. But one of the copywritten versions of this song says it this way. A thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices. I think I like that way better. I think my favorite Christmas carol just got even more better. You see, hope can only be thrilling when it's secure. An artist, Gabriel Marcel, said it this way, Hope is for the soul what breathing is for the living organism. And there's a comparison in Scripture that we see for what hope leads to. Think of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now compare that with Romans chapter 5, verse 5, where it says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Eternal hope. See, the the original language for hope, there's a few words that the Old and New Testament use for the, the word hope. But in this particular case, it had an expectation that came with it from an eternal standpoint. If there was an expectation of evil, what the result was was fear. If there was an expectation of good, what the result was was hope. And in this particular case, what we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, what we see in Hebrews chapter 10 is a hope that does not put to shame. A hope that will not make the heart sick. It's an expectation of good eternally because of Jesus Christ. Now, Hebrews chapter 10 goes on in verse 24 to help us see this. We can love in a practical way. Because of the love that we've experienced in Christ. We're going to look at the subject of love a bit more in a few weeks on 
December the 12th. But for today, let's take a look at how we hope in. What we hope in serves as a foundation for how we express that in our lives through love. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, because of our hope, in this community that we live in together, in community that we have with one another, we can stir one another up. And, and I just want to be clear about something. This is not whipping each other into some optimistic frenzy or anything like that. We stir one another out of our circumstances. We stir one another out of our mindset. We stir one another out of our outlook. We stir one another up to something. We stir one another up to the perspective that we should have of our current circumstances. The perspective that we should have of our mindset or our outlook in light of an eternal hope. We urge one another. We cheer one another on. We set each other up for success in community, in good works. This is a a restorative work, work that builds each other up. It gives courage. But why do we do this? Because as amazing as it is to consider, our passage today reminds us that Jesus is the deliverer from idols that cannot deliver. And this gives us hope in the one who can see his work through. This restorative work that we're called to is not our work. It's his. We're entering into his work for his kingdom's cause. So how is it that we should respond? If we have been putting our hope in things like power, control, comfort, approval, how is it that we should respond then? Well, it's very simple, actually. Repent. But yeah, but how, how is it that I, I do something different? How, how is it that I repent of what's going on beneath the surface? The thing that it is that's driving me to do the things that I do. How might we keep ourselves from idols? See, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So it's right that we would ask a question like that. Actually, some translations say this. Children, don't let other things take God's place in your heart. Thomas Chalmers, in one of his sermons, Chalmers was actually a Scottish theologian at the same time that O Holy Night was penned. In one of his sermons, the expulsive power of a new affection says this. The best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline. Christians overcome the world by seeing the beauty and excellence of Christ. They overcome the world by seeing something more attractive than the world, Christ. So if we see one of these idols, if we see power, control, comfort, approval, if we see them starting to take over our hearts, taking the place that God should have in what drives us, a right response would be repentance. And I simply mean this, turning away from our sin. Turning away from that sin. That's a foundational part of our conversion to become a Christian, one who who puts saving faith in Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who can save. So repentance is a key component of, of initially turning from sin to Christ, but it is also a necessary part of the ongoing Christian life. It's something for us to consider today. See, we don't repent of idolatry by looking in the mirror and declaring, we're going to just overcome this. 
There's no, there's no repentance pre-workout. There's nothing that's going to get us pumped up with just enough to get us through that workout. Where we're looking at it saying, in my might, in my energy, in my goodness, I repent. Yet how many of us live that way? As if that's how it is that we can overcome. Now I think it's right for us just to acknowledge that biblically there is something that comes along with repentance. It's it's the emotion of sorrow. But I want to be clear here that there are times that repentance is accompanied by a deep and heartfelt emotion. But repentance is not necessarily directly connected to a certain type or kind of emotion. And I say this to serve us all, right? If, if there's some sense that, you, that God is revealing something to you this morning that you have been putting your hopes in, that you have been longing for when we ask that question, what do you want for Christmas? But you just think like, I don't feel it. That's okay. For families, for spouses, for friendships, it's okay if there's not like some big emotional scene Because what we're looking for is a change that is inward. Repentance means that we are turning away in the things that drive us, in the things that occupy our mind, and then the the effects of it kind of spill out through our lives. So it's okay if there's not a particular emotion that comes along with us. We can still respond in repentance. We don't look in the mirror saying that we can overcome in our own energy, might, or goodness, we repent by remembering that the God who is above all other gods, the one who sent his son for our redemption, who calls and draws us into his presence, who empowers us for the good works of restoring his creation to its original intent, he is the one who wants to have first place in our hearts. He is the one who secures our hope eternally. This means that we can respond we can repent for our longing for power by submitting. We repent of our longing for power by submitting to his greater work and power within me. Ephesians 5:18 says this, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. We can also repent for our longing for control through surrender. We Repent for our longing for control through surrendering to his ultimate control. Consider the words from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, where it says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. God has done it so that people fear before him. We can also repent of our longing for comfort by remembering. We repent of our longing for comfort by remembering that he is the greater comforter. We'll see this in the weeks ahead. But today from 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted 
by God. Lastly, we can repent of our longing for approval through rejoicing. We repent of our longing for approval by rejoicing in His gracious and eternal approval. Think of the words from Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who hanged on a tree. Church today, know this. His power is greater. His control is perfect. His comfort is satisfying. His approval is eternal. There is no God like our God. Now Jesus provides a way for us not only to look to him as the God above all other gods, the only one who would willingly lay down his life to save people. He gives us communion as a way of remembering completed work. And as I just said, it's his completed work, not my energy, not my might, not my goodness. He alone provides the right standing that I need before God that I may be able to enter in. Perhaps you're here today and you've heard of this saving faith, but today you are ready to receive this saving faith. Can I simply ask this as Danny comes to lead us through communion as a church? Today, I want to invite you to participate in communion. Not just because it's the right actions to take when you're gathered together in a church. Because it's the right thing for us to do, those who have put their full faith in Jesus Christ. Today, by faith, you can receive communion as a gift that reminds you, He will see you through. Because Jesus is the deliverer from idols that cannot deliver. Giving us hope in the one, His work through.